Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Hi Strange is released weekly, every Thursday, brought to you absolutely free. But if you want to binge the whole season, it's available right now on Apple Podcasts for all Tenderfoot Plus subscribers. You'll also get exclusive bonus episodes throughout the season. For more information, check out the show notes. Enjoy the episode. They'd come from outer space, low Earth orbit, go to 28,000 feet right off the coast of Catalina. Whatever that object was dropped right down to the surface of the water. These things were breaking the sound barrier, but there was no big boom. Freaked us all out. We didn't even know how to respond to it. Came from outer space all the way down to 28,000 feet and stopped. It was so outside of our experience, we didn't know what to do. They looked like about a 50-foot long giant tic-tac. Pure white, no doors, no windows, no nothing. Same size of his aircraft, approximately. Whatever that object was, went to Fast Eagle's assigned cap station, the exact latitude, longitude, and altitude, and stopped. How in the hell did it know where that cap point was? It was a secret location, only in secret message traffic. They knew where our intent. Welcome to High Strange. I sat down with senior radar operator for the U.S. Navy, Kevin Day. In 2004, he was aboard the USS Princeton, a naval-guided missile cruiser, when strange objects began to appear on his screen. Over the course of several days, he continued to see large tic-tac-shaped objects running circles around the Navy jets, raising the legitimate concern of a possible mid-air collision. They were zigzagging all over the sky like a flywood, doing impossible things darting all over the place, creating G-forces, 35 Gs, 40 Gs. That would make us into pancakes. A pilot can survive maybe eight or nine G-forces. I don't think there's anything biological in these things. You all saw it? Mm-hmm. Yep. We all saw it. It shook me to my core. Truly did. They watched on radar these unknown objects dive from over 80,000 feet in the air to the very near surface of the ocean in a matter of seconds. They were long, 50-foot, cylindrical objects, white in color, no windows, and no doors. And by appearance, they were rotorless, with no signs of propulsion. We were concerned about safety of flight. I was at meetings. Hey guys, I got something for you. What's up, Kev? We have a safety of flight issue off the Southern California coast. And when I went to describe what happened to us in 04, I got laughed at, man. What do you mean? They laughed. UFOs, ha, ha, ha. And the people who weren't laughing, they were giving me this kind of look, looking down their nose, like, what's he been smoking? It was real. I mean, pilots saw it with their eyeballs. It's on every ship's radar. And those radars are really good at what they do, trust me. I was concerned about safety of flight, man, for airliners too. I got so frustrated, no one would listen, I quit. Commander David Fravor flew his F-18 Super Hornet towards the object, 
and it crossed directly in front of the nose of his jet, then took off out of sight. When the object appeared again, it was at the exact location the jets were supposed to rendezvous at, a secret undisclosed set of coordinates. Five years after the Tic Tac incident, Kevin Day resigned from the Navy. In 2017, while volunteering at a country club near his house, he was carrying a plate of fish and chips when he noticed the breaking news on the TV. Unexplained aerial phenomena. This Navy video showing the pilot's reaction to the strange aerial encounter. The Pentagon released three videos of unknown flying objects to the public. I stood there frozen. I dropped the plate of food I was carrying. After over 20 years in the Navy, being mocked and laughed at by the Department of Defense, he was finally vindicated. He beelined to his house in a daze. I raced home, probably broke every traffic law in this little town to get home. Jump on the computer, call my friends, and deal with it, you know? Because what else are you going to do? If it was you, what would you do? I have no idea. Right, exactly. We're just human, right? When he got home, he started calling other sailors aboard the USS Princeton, people who also witnessed the event. Now that the news had broken, he wanted to make sure they could all stick together, and he urged them to come forward and talk about the incident openly. We can't let Commander Fravor twist in the wind by himself here because we were there and we know what happened. We have to validate what he's saying. So that's how that all started. Both the New York Times and Politico broke the news that the Pentagon had been investigating UAPs for a decade. This UAP task force was officially known as the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. The leader of the operation, Lou Elizondo, had just resigned claiming he left the program for similar reasons as Kevin Day. His higher-ups were simply not taking this seriously. I think what happens from this point forward, the science teams get on the ball around the planet, and we start collecting science data on these things. UAP is knowable. We can know what these are. We're worried about paying the rent and making sure the electric bill's paid and the kids are on school in time and they're healthy, well-dressed. Who the hell's got time to think about aliens, you know? We have to live in the daily life. What if the entire planet has to change all of a sudden and we're not prepared? That's what the scientists are saying now. Hey, get ready for the societal impacts. Looking back on this, I wouldn't trade a moment of what I went through. Because you know what? The things that happened to me are gonna be a powerful damn message when I go to Congress. That's how I'm gonna transmute this. I'm going to turn it into a message that they are going to have to listen to. I feel so damn lucky. I can't even express how lucky I feel, how blessed I am. What an honor. What an honor. It was all worth it, all of it, to get the message out. Whether we like it or not, whether we admit to it or not, these things are coming. Accept it. I don't want anything. I don't want money. I don't want fame. I want the world to get ready for what's about to happen. That's what Kevin Day wants. It was so cool to see a space shuttle launch or a landing and realize my dad was instrumental in doing that. This is John Greenwald, the founder and creator of theblackfault.com. And after he retired, I found out he worked on the Mars Lander. I found out he worked on the Space Defense Program. So there's a lot about him that I didn't know until after he retired. And my dad 
He has um, really kind of, I think, instilled in me the fascination with space and stretching the limits of what science can do. I started way back when I was 15 years old. A incident in 1976, one of the very few UFO documents that you could go and read and download. And it read very much like a X-Files episode, a science fiction movie. It just didn't make sense. One UFO was seen over the city of Tehran, Iran. A second UFO was seen coming out of that one, a third coming out of the bottom, one of which the F-4 Phantom pilot saw hover above the ground and cast this large light. Just like the Tic Tac in 2004, the Tehran UFO incident involved not only eyewitnesses, but radar pings of something strange in the sky. The pilots began to engage the UFO over Iran's capital city. And as they got closer, both F-4 Phantom jets lost controls of their onboard weapon systems. As they turned off from the pursuit and headed back towards their base, magically, all their communication and weapons functions began working again. And this happened to both of the jets. During this whole event, two separate F-4 Phantom jets seemingly were strategically shut down, losing controls, communications, as they were engaging this UFO, whatever that was. One could potentially be a coincidence. Two, however, seemed strategic. It seemed like technology. There's really not a feasible explanation for it, even to this day. So the question mark is, well, what was it and why? We're talking about 1976 here. With all this time that passed, I mean, maybe we'd see something similar. Maybe we'd have a viable explanation at this point. We have nothing. We have neither. This was almost 30 years before the Tic Tacs were seen. How could an adversary like Russia or China have such a tight lid on some advanced technology like this for so damn long? That was the first document that I got when I was 15. And I thought, man, the internet has to have more. And that's what kind of drove me and motivated me to go back and look. And there really wasn't anything. You just saw more of the he said, she said stories. There were chat forums, message boards at the time. Nobody really had the, the, the full story. And if they were telling the same story, they were telling it in different ways. And it was so frustrating. So that's why I started utilizing the FOIA and then just going after these documents because I figured, hey, if this four-page document exists, there have to be more. And sure enough, there was a lot more. The Freedom of Information Act is essentially a law here in America that allows anyone in the world, you actually don't even have to be an American citizen, to access information. You request information, they have to send it to you. But the fine print allows nine different reasons for them to say no. Those nine different what they call exemptions are those redactions that you see. Freedom of information. We can go after information. Government and military has got to send it to us. Problem is, they put in nine reasons for them not to send it. To see things that the American public and the world have never seen before, to get documents, to get videos like old film reels, it's such an amazing feeling because you're seeing history that only a select few people that had clearances or that were involved in the project have seen before. I was, you know, 15, I was stupid. I, I, I didn't realize exactly what I was getting my, 
myself into, but quickly learned that the government was going to push back. And what I first wanted to achieve was essentially get these documents out and put them out in their raw form. I didn't anticipate the struggle that there was going to be to get it. Being that 15-year-old curious kid, I didn't know a whole lot about it. I just knew there was something there. What was this Freedom of Information Act? But hey, they're going to send me something for free. Cool. And that's what I kind of went for. The Freedom of Information Act, building a website and just kind of going from there. And I take it to kind of the next level for me where I put it online for everybody. Here we are 26 years and 3.2 million pages later. <laughs> I haven't gone anywhere. People can download with the click of a button in seconds what sometimes took me over a decade to get, literally. For me, that drives some of the motivation to do what I do. John has been collecting documents released via FOIA requests since he was 15 years old. I wasn't even remotely productive with anything at that age. I went from that curious 15-year-old kid who was just trying to find some documents to really piecing together pieces of the puzzle that in some cases had never been released to the general public at all. Finding that irrefutable proof that they were still interested in UFOs and even in the CIA files had material of some kind post what they admitted to investigating back in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. I deep down kind of always knew there was a mystery to this. I mean, you just look at the books on bookshelves in a bookstore, and I knew that there was a lot to the topic. It wasn't just kind of like a silly internet rumor. So being, again, that young, naive kid, I didn't know what I was getting myself into, but I at least was kind of solidified with my beliefs that there was something unknown about this, something that was worthwhile exploring. From all over the world, they were collecting sightings. And, and that 1976 Iran incident, I'll stress the date, 1976, seven years after the United States Air Force and in turn the United States government said, hey, there's nothing to this. There's nothing that's a threat to national security. We're not interested. If you want to report something, go to your local law enforcement or a, a UFO group, but we don't care. Behind the scenes, though, they were collecting all these reports. And clearly, if you have a craft of some kind in 1976 that can strategically shut down two separate F-4 Phantom jets, that's a concern. There was a United States Air Force pilot that chimed in on one of the documents that I found through the NSA on this very incident. He stated in this once classified document, it was a low level classification for this one, there's certain things in a pilot's career that just defy logic and, and explanation. This case is one of them. He says, but this will probably be filed in a drawer somewhere and forgotten. All the way up to 2017, the government maintained that they had zero interest in UFOs. Oh, that's probably left over from Project Blue Book. They forgot about it. Military is notorious for, for forgetting things. What I did was proved quite the opposite, that it was actually modified through the 2000s. UFOs was never taken out. Now, some of your audience might say, well, that doesn't sound surprising. They're looking into UFOs prior to 2017 when the UFO program that was reported in the New York Times kind of blew open this whole avalanche of interest and so on. Prior to that, it was a lot different. That's part of my story. That's part of my growth in seeing both eras being deeply entrenched in saying, 
look, there is irrefutable proof the government is lying. They're interested in UFOs. These phenomena are real, those multiple facets of it. It extended way beyond 1969. They're lying to you about the interest. They have material. You can see photos of it in the old army files. I mean, there's stories on top of stories on top of stories. And then you get to 2017, then they start talking about it. And then all of a sudden you have this completely different conversation. My experience on my other show, Radio Rental, has shown me that there is more unexplainable in this world than I ever could have imagined. Through decades of in-depth research, John has unearthed mountains of bizarre stories, all by requesting documents from the government. Now they're acknowledging UAP are real, they're looking into it, they're investigating it, and they're talking about it. They're not poking fun at it. There's research organizations or groups within the United States military complex that are looking at this thing. That's all positive. Full stop. Period. The bad part is the secrecy. I thought 26, 20, 15 years ago, secrecy was bad enough. It's worse now. It's not a popular take right now because those that want to believe that we are on the road to some disclosure feel that just because the government is talking about UAP, that this is it. The reality is that even though they are talking about it, they have deeper secrecy now. Procedures specifically targeting the UAP topic to classify it. And they don't want to tell us about it. A lot of people that, again, really have that belief that we are on to something here, on the road to this disclosure, feel that politicians are going to be the answer. Now, look, I've, I've met quite a few politicians over the years. Some of them are great people. Some of them, their heart is in the right place. But if anybody thinks politicians are going to be the turning point for transparency on UAP, have a real big letdown coming. My proof of that is you look in the last couple of years in these classified briefings that we now know quite a few politicians have had. They are going behind closed doors and hearing what you and I can't. They don't come out and reveal anything, right? I mean, we can all agree to that. They've got their security oaths and nobody has turned around and shouted to the heavens that all of this stuff has to be declassified. Their own procedures are stopping them from doing that. Politicians cannot circumvent it. So even if those are coming out of the classified briefing, screaming to the high heavens, you need to declassify all of this, in the eyes of the military, it doesn't matter. Can they have pressure? Absolutely. Will they be successful? Probably not. And newsflash to some, politicians are kind of selfish like that. They want the information for themselves, and they want to keep part of that information from you and I. Why? Control. Those are all elements to this conversation that a lot of people, I don't think, banter about as much as they should. I don't think politicians are the answer. I don't pretend to know what the answer is. I just don't have as high of hopes as some people do. Even though you have politicians on these committees getting the classified briefings and maybe getting motivated enough to create that legislation, they are not there in perpetuity. They are not there forever. They change. They'll retire. They get voted out. That's why I don't think politicians are going to be that ultimate answer. There's a lot of things at play here. I think society creates the dream scenario, but it's not necessarily reality.
I don't believe disclosure in the sense that we all talk about it is going to happen. I don't see the government coming to some kind of podium. President comes out in front of the White House and says, the extraterrestrial presence is here. They're real. We know about this. That's how most people define disclosure. And I don't think that's going to happen. I think disclosure is going to be with us, that we're going to be able to figure out those answers for ourselves. For some, that threshold is a lot higher or lower, depending on who you talk to, for them to really come to the conclusion, hey, there is a extraterrestrial presence here. For me, that's what it's all about. Bring it all together for yourself, analyze it for yourself, and come to a conclusion. I don't need the government to tell me what I believe. I don't need a researcher to write me a book and tell me what to believe. I don't need anybody who runs a site called The Black Vault to tell me what to believe because I don't want to be that person to tell people what to believe. I think we should all just look at all those pieces of the puzzle and, and try and figure it out. And for me, that's what disclosure ultimately is. What is it? Is it extraterrestrials? Is it aliens? What everybody wants to know? I don't know because my threshold's really high to, to say that. Everybody thinks the government is this all-knowing entity, that they have the answers, and they're the, just the big, bad, evil guys that are keeping it from us. There is a partial belief that I have that they just have zero answers, that they truly are clueless, that they have no idea, just like kind of some of us, where we're just trying to figure all this out. I think that's a possibility, too, that the government doesn't have all the answers. I mean, you can't in one breath say they're completely inept and can't do X, Y, and Z, and then in the next breath say they are holding the biggest secret of humanity and they've been able to cover it up and any ample, undeniable scientific proof that extraterrestrials are here and it's all because the United States government has done that. Does the government know more than what they're telling? Absolutely. That, that's undeniable. We can see that with the secrecy and, and the redactions and the denied documents and videos and photographs. But does that denial constitute answers? That I don't know but I would have my doubts that they do. I think that they may be trying to figure it out just as much as some of us. For the past 20 years, you've enjoyed the refreshing tropical lime flavor of Mountain Dew Baja Blast. So in celebration of this milestone, we're bringing Baja Blast in stores nationwide. And for a limited time with every purchase of Baja Blast, you can collect coins for a chance to get Baja gear or a Taco Bell deal. 2024 is the year of Baja Blast. In stores now. No purchase necessary. Open to U.S. residents 18 plus. Subject to official rules at BajaBlast.com and 615.24. Void where prohibited. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. 
Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash rs10 today. My name is Ryan Graves, former F-18 pilot. Ryan Graves, former Navy fighter pilot and engineer, got a sense of deja vu when he saw the UAP videos released in 2017. He recognized the voices. He'd already seen this video before, during a classified briefing aboard the USS Theodore Roosevelt. In 2014, they upgraded all their radar systems. Once we had upgraded our radar to the newest version, we were seeing things that just weren't there on the other radar. We would go out in the morning with one aircraft with one radar and not see anything. And then we'd get an upgraded radar on our next flight, and then we'd see a lot of these objects. We actually didn't even think it was anything. We thought it was a radar malfunction of some type. Until we got close enough with some of the cameras we have on board to see that they were physical objects. During an air-to-air training mission, as pilots were returning to the aircraft carrier, they noticed on radar an object that looked to be a disc or gimbal shape with five other objects flying in formation nearby it. There was energy emitting from those spots. This was now potentially some kind of drone or junk or something. Once we got them on the FLIR, which is our camera system, we'd want to fly by to see them with our eyes, but we couldn't see them. If our radar is looking at something, everything is looking there, and all that information is pumped into my visor on my helmet. As I'm flying right at this object, there's a square in my visor showing me where to look. Look there, look there. I can see my wingmen and the circles on them. But for these particular objects, we'd come by them and there would be nothing in the square. We couldn't see them. An F-18's radar system isn't the best tool to help us figure out what these are. There's a refresh rate. If something was to accelerate so fast that it just darts off, on the radar, that might not look like a super fast acceleration. That might just look like something disappearing off my radar. One of the days we were going out on a flight together, two of the aircraft, two people in each aircraft, and just a standard day going out to do some training out in the working areas. We enter the working areas at a very specific location at a very specific altitude. And as aircraft are departing, they essentially depart lower at the exact same spot. That's kind of the entry and exit point, they call it. They were flying through that point, and right at the point, they flew right by one of these objects. Went right between the lead aircraft and his wingman. This object went right between them, flew through it, almost hit the thing. To my knowledge, this is the first visual of the object. They ended up knocking off the flight after that, essentially canceling the flight. He came back, he had a look of shock on his face. I almost hit one of those damn things. You know, I was like, well, what did it look like? He was like, it was a dark black cube inside a clear sphere. The corners of the cube were essentially touching the inside of that sphere. No gas, no propulsion, no propellers. 
We shouldn't have objects operating near our fighter jets that we don't know what they are. That's a serious issue. The fact that one of these could take out our aircraft and the crew with it is a major safety issue. United States security perspective, it's a major lapse to just assume that this is something that's not going to be a problem. As time progressed, more people saw them. I know at least 10 or so that saw the objects themselves and described it the same way. It kind of broke our brain. What we do with things that are strange, we try to make it not strange anymore by relating it to something else. Laying in bed at the end of the day, that lingering question, that kind of uncertainty. For a while, that's where it sat for me until I left on deployment to Mississippi where I was a flight instructor. It gave me more time to kind of think and reflect on it. And that's when I realized I felt the need to talk about it. New release video shows an encounter between US Navy pilots and some kind of unidentified flying object. It wasn't an overly hard choice. We've been stigmatized around this topic. I hate to use this word, but programmed in a sense with certain assumptions about what ET is through our media and our culture and all those things, right? We like that. It's something that fascinates us as human beings to think that there's something else out there. And so we've built up stories about it, but those stories have been created with our own imaginations. I had some assumptions that I didn't realize were so fundamentally baked into my core, right? Being able to examine those assumptions in a logical way helped me understand that there's actually a lot of meat on this bone. We are truly perhaps talking about something alien, and that word I think has more depth to it than we commonly think it does. If something is truly alien, it might be very difficult for us to really imagine its makeup. We have to assume if there's hyper-intelligent aliens out there, that there's a lot of knowledge that we don't have, right? That we're just at the very beginning of our scientific understanding, if that's true. If that logic is true, then almost by definition, anything we're gonna see is almost magical, beyond our comprehension and understanding, because we just simply haven't connected those dots yet, and that is understanding. When you look at the behavior overall, there's no consideration for energy here. To have something that can go as fast as a jet and then go as slow as a helicopter, to do those things back and forth, it takes an incredible amount of energy. But when we would look at these objects on the FLIR, it just looked like a single source of IR energy coming out from the objects. No propellers, there's no heat, there's no plume of gas keeping it in place. When a Navy fighter pilot says they saw something unexplained in the sky, with no signs of propulsion, and openly claims that the technology is not from anything we have here on Earth, it's hard not to listen and to actually believe their story. One of the things that I'm doing within my work at the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics is building a state of technology manual, if you will, for UAP sensing something that would be updated yearly that we could put out to help inform the engineering community on different methodologies that have been tested and, and what works and what doesn't. Really looking to move the, the engineering conversation forward. This is the beginning of a scientific peer review process that's going to allow a standardized and repeatable way of discovery. 
where we can have experts come in from across the aerospace scientific regime and provide peer review to papers that get published and no kidding, move the science forward. You can see how artificial intelligence is moving itself into science more. It would make sense to, to utilize machine learning to perhaps understand certain areas or functions that maybe aren't obvious to our understanding of science. I think that we will radically have redefined how we think about intelligence. We're gonna share this earth in a sense with another non-human intelligence. We have to really leverage our interaction with AI to be competitive and successful. That's gonna be an interesting change. I think the concept and our understanding of consciousness and intelligence will be much greater in 50 years. How do we try to kind of unwind and understand how those vehicles could operate that way? Because if that's a bad guy who has that technology, we're in big trouble. They're basically rendering defenseless all of this stuff that we've developed over many decades to protect, and they're toying with us. Is there any way we could understand how those things could be doing that? Maybe get a little further down the road of explaining where they're coming from. Who owns them? Is somebody in them? Or is it a drone? One of the studies they did, which I found fascinating, was on multidimensional travel. In other words, maybe these things are not from far away. They're from here. I mean, think of Stranger Things. They're from the Upside Down. And that sounds crazy, but the more you think about it, we know there are things that exist in this natural world that we can't see. When you sent me a text on your phone to mine, something went from you to me. And we don't see it, we don't feel it, we don't taste it. The concept of not knowing what it is, is alarming. If they were all explained, we wouldn't even be talking about this. The whole nature of the phenomenon is that we don't know what it is. It's always been that way. I wish they would get to the point where they would be willing to say, I don't know what it is, but I know it's not from planet Earth, or I know it's not made by human hands. That really distinguishes it. Closes that door, which we've always left open about, well, maybe it's Russian or Chinese or something. The government said this publicly a year ago, that some of these UAPs, as they call them, are not ours. They're not our aircraft. Maybe it's possibly secret technology from America, which they sort of said it isn't, but there's always that little bit of question about that. If that were true, it would be an amazingly good story. It would basically be evidence of a government within a government. I think it's very remote that that is the case. These things have been seen at least since the beginning of the technological age, the age of aviation. What country developed this stuff when? I mean, how could we have missed that? all these years later. Gradual dissemination is probably the safest and best way to do it, and then they can gauge people's reactions and see how it affects people and not create this huge shock. If they can work gradually up to the moment where they might cross that line where they acknowledge that there's something here that's non-human. 
I think it's an exciting time to be around. We obviously have a lot of problems as a planet. A lot of people who doubt we're going to make this thing work much longer unless we get our shit together. We also live at a time where technology and the ability to understand not just our own world, but what else is out there is much sharper than it's ever been. Massive changes in the world just in the last hundred years. More change than in the previous thousand years. A hundred years from now, we may know a lot of things if we don't kill ourselves first. There's no doubt the Overton window has moved. There's a window of what's acceptable public debate. If things don't fit into that window, you can't really talk about it because you're seen as being on the fringe. UFOs, clearly, the fact that Congress openly talks about it demands more investigation. The Overton window has moved. We think of ourselves as being the top of the food chain, right? We're it. To imagine that that's actually not the case. You have to kind of reconceive a lot of our own narrative here on the planet. Keep an open mind, open to the idea that some of these sightings really are not earthly. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This morning I woke up, had breakfast and some coffee, showered, then went to my office. I got a call from this reporter at Newsweek. He wanted to hear my thoughts on the latest Chinese surveillance balloons, the one shot down by the U.S. military. But more specifically, the strange tic-tac-shaped object shot down over Alaska, the one the U.S. government claimed it was unable to recover. That's too bad. I had a few Zoom calls, a quick lunch, did some scrolling on TikTok and Instagram. Is it a UFO? Balloon wouldn't do that. Algorithms working nicely today. 
sent a few emails. Some listeners sent me some home footage of what they think is a UFO in their backyard. There it is. An email from someone in the military who has a story. Then this really angry message about how my podcast is polluting the minds of kids, and if aliens were real, they'd be in the Bible or something like that. I don't know. Her name was Karen something. I left my office, went to my local neighborhood bar. It's called Vesper, by the way. I'm getting a Manhattan. I saw a few friends there who were so energized to talk about UFOs. Damn it. I didn't want to be the UFO guy. But our conversations felt different. They became more philosophical, discussing our beliefs and the real implications of life beyond our planet and the universe. Okay, I'll stay for one more. A phone call. An email. Time to eat dinner and go to sleep. But I didn't. I couldn't sleep. My mind was racing with way too many existential thoughts about life and the future, and not the negative kind either. This insatiable itch in the back of my brain. This desire to learn more about everything and just figure it all out. As I sat on the edge of my bed, reflecting back on all the people I talked to, all the personal stories and eyewitness accounts, the mountains of archival documents I'd read, and all the differing opinions from every single person out there, I realized something. I realized, despite all my efforts in this podcast, I myself still did not have a definitive answer. If anything, it felt like I had opened the door to even more questions. But I almost instantly realized something else. That I think I'm okay with that. Truthfully, had I learned that all this UFO stuff was just fake and closed the book on it, well, then I wouldn't even have more questions. The conversation would be over. Knowledge and understanding isn't something you attain overnight. It's a process that's so individually unique to all of us. I feel like because we live in a world where information travels the fastest it ever has, like how quickly we get the breaking news on our phone, can send a message or make a call, how connected we are to even strangers all through the internet. It's too easy to fall into the mindset that we need to know everything right now. Everything around us is so instant. The reality is we're all still learning about everything and we'll never stop learning. Things change, people change, views change. We're all still evolving. It's too easy to look at life in this exact moment and think, this is it. But if we just stop for a second and really think about it, we all know that's not actually true. Look back in history a thousand years or even just last week. We know more today than we literally did yesterday. I mean, seriously, we used to smoke cigarettes on airplanes like it was nothing. Today's breaking news is tomorrow's old news. And with every minute passed, it all becomes a little bit easier for us to understand. It's okay to not know everything. And feeling like we have to all the time tends to make us incredibly divisive. Once upon a time, we were cavemen, just banging rocks and making fires. We've evolved so much in nearly every way imaginable. And we can't forget that we're still evolving. So as I sat there on the edge of my bed, thinking back on everything I'd learned, I realized that even though I couldn't close the book on UFOs, the fact that I couldn't means to me that there's still so much more to learn.
Life can feel like a hamster wheel, doing the things we know until we get too tired and go to sleep. But our own curiosity of the world around us should be encouraged and celebrated. This desire to reach out and explore is what makes us special as humans. So even though the hamster wheel keeps turning, it's okay to step off every once in a while and contemplate the bigger picture. It'll be right there waiting for you if you ever decide to come back. Till next time, this is High Strange. High Strange is a production by Tenderfoot TV in association with Cadence 13. Created, hosted, and edited by myself, Payne Lindsay. Executive producers are myself and Donald Albright. Editing by Mike Rooney, Cooper Skinner, and myself. Original score by Makeup and Vanity Set. Sound design, mixing, and mastering by Cooper Skinner. Additional production by Mike Rooney, Dylan Harrington, Eric Quintana, Sean Nerney, Meredith Stedman, and Sydney Evans. Our cover art is by Polygon. This episode features the song Man on the Moon, performed by R.E.M., courtesy of Concord Records. Visit Concord Music on the web at concordmusicgroup.com. Special thanks to Oren Rosenbaum and the whole team at UTA, the Nord Group, Station 16, Beck Media and Marketing, as well as Chris Corcoran and the team at Cadence 13. Check out the show's website at highstrange.com. Follow the show on TikTok and Instagram at High Strange. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Payne Lindsay. If you have your own UFO story, email us at tips at highstrange.com. And if you're enjoying the show, please help us out by rating and reviewing the podcast and share it with your friends. Thanks for listening. You know that science solves crimes. Forensic science is exciting, challenging, and most of all, rewarding work. But there is a shortage of qualified individuals in this field. Hi, I'm Terry with Loyola University, Maryland's Forensic Science Department. Loyola is one of the only colleges in the country offering advanced degrees in forensic pattern analysis and biological forensics. Our courses, taught by forensic experts, feature hands-on training and small class sizes. They are based on real crime scene and forensic examiner training programs to ensure you are ready to make a difference. Our programs are open to students from a variety of academic backgrounds because we believe everyone can contribute to solving crimes. So what are you waiting for? Discover the excitement of forensic science at Loyola University, Maryland. Visit loyola.edu forward slash forensic for more information. That's loyola.edu forward slash forensic because you are ready to make a difference. Join one of Loyola University Maryland's forensic science programs today.